Let me ask you this question. Did your church survive the pandemic? And could it survive a time of tribulation or persecution? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Now, that may seem a strange question to some that are listening, because your church might survive quite well. But during this time of the pandemic, and I want to take you back a year ago, in early February, we were beginning to hear about some kind of a virus or illness in China. And we were hearing that, well, it really is not contagious, nothing to worry about. And we heard about the president trying to stop travel from China, though that got knocked down uh, pretty quickly. By the end of February, people were becoming increasingly concerned about this virus. And people started taking precautionary measures. Many churches decided to, well, let's suspend a Sunday or two and try to find out what's going on. I have no particular problem with that, to get a handle on what is going on. Then the month of March came around. I had been called out of retirement and I was working again in emergency management in a rather large county and city in a different state. We didn't know. We were being given all these unbelievable numbers of people that were going to get sick and die in a short amount of time. Number one, you got to go back to the end of February or into the early part of March. And if you worked in my line of work, there were some numbers being tossed around that were just out and out scary. I was actually afraid to leave my wife behind in Florida with her daughter. If there had been any way to bring her with me to stay isolated in that hotel that I was in with our little dogs, I would have done it. Because we didn't know. The numbers were absolutely huge and frightening. I don't care. I mean, let's be honest. That's the human nature. We all are going to look at something like that and and really wonder. Day by day, we kind of hunkered down and we got ready for the 15 days to flatten the curve that occurred around the middle part of March. Then we got to the end of March and we extended it another two weeks, another two weeks, another month, another whatever. Some states locking down harder than others. Others, you know, trying to remain somewhat normal. I realized, I realized toward the end of April, I remember producing your weekend show from where I was at, even did a short video about Fear Not and and talking about there's something about this that we as Christians just have to take it in stride. It's hard to accept that. But we do. And so I, I'm i saying, Lord, what's going on? Number one, the numbers we're being told are not coming to fruition. Now, some might argue that, well, maybe because we tried to flatten the curve. No, trying to flatten the curve and all the things we did, it's increasingly obvious as you look around the world 
and look at those places that just locked down everything, locked you in your home. You couldn't go out and walk your dog. You were literally in jail, in prison, in your house. If you went outside, the police would ask, where are you going in some places? And then you're looking at other places that didn't do near as much of that. And at the end of all these cycles of closures, opens, what have you, the end result was about the same. The big lockdowns really didn't do much of anything. Churches ended up not being these super, super spreaders that, you know, Lori Lightfoot of Chicago claimed they would be. She was so determined to shut down every church in her city just to lock them up. If you dared go to church, they would tow your car away. Matter of fact, Lori Lightfoot was so aggravated, she demanded that these cars on a street near a church be all towed away because she thought they were all the church. (laughs) It was the neighborhood's people's cars that they towed away. But she was so determined. Then I think of this one stupid city in Kentucky where they're meeting (laughs) meeting in their cars And the cars are socially distanced. They're meeting outdoors in cars. And the police are trying to write $500 tickets for everybody that showed up. This is the kind of unconstitutional idiocy that wrapped the syphilis-brained left. Churches are super spreaders. Yet somehow the billion-dollar businesses thrived. The Walmarts thrived. The big grocery stores thrived. Amazon's profits shot through the roof. We all learned to shop online, have things delivered. Because we're trying to escape a virus we really can't escape. A virus that I don't care how politically incorrect it sounds, it came from China. And whether it came out of a laboratory by accident or by plan and design? That's the only part of the question I can't answer. Here's some of the things I can tell you that have come out, and we talked about this way back in the summer when this program first began, that this virus came out of a lab in Wuhan, not some wet meat market somewhere in town. It didn't originate from some bat and accidentally get into the food chain. This is a gain of function of the SARS 2003-2004 virus that had been looked at by none other than Dr. Fauci in this country until it became illegal and ultimately ended up with millions of American taxpayer dollars in Wuhan. You know, this is the same Dr. Fauci. Now, remember, if you go back, oh, I don't know, last April, and and you heard President Trump say, you know, hydroxychloroquine, they tell us, is not a bad drug in treating the symptoms and those that are affected by this disease. Well, CNN, MSNBC, the mainstream media started screaming their bloody heads off. You can't say that. You're not a doctor. Well, there are thousands of other doctors that got silenced by YouTube and and fascist book, which is commonly known as Facebook, and Twitter, which is run by a guy that looks more like a meth addict, 
acts like one too narcissistic is all get out and will to tell you what you're allowed to think and say the whole world said no good i want you to think about this soon as he said that even even the congress of the united states was saying this stuff will kill you nancy pelosi's on tv saying this is dangerous this drug is dangerous dr fauci said it doesn't work it's ineffective politically on and on it went if you said something on facebook or twitter it got you were immediately it disappeared or you got you got suspended he got kicked off twitter for saying hydroxychloroquine worked you are now going against the established narrative of the thought police two days after biden's inauguration suddenly and i mean remember the the fda you know said you can't even use it they 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 clamped down because of the politics suddenly magically two days after biden is inaugurated hydroxychloroquine is now an approved drug to treat coronavirus covid19 don't ever tell me there's no politics involved in this virus it's obvious that it is very deeply involved we may do a show again to try to go through the numbers i've had family members some have had a had this virus and they went through it quite quickly and some a little longer we had one that had a very difficult time but they're also extenuating circumstances attached to that individual but he's pulling through and keep him in your prayers magically the flu has disappeared heart disease has disappeared and cancer has gone down it's just the numbers coming out of the cdc so did 400 and whatever thousand 30 40 000 die in the united states i don't know they died but did they die of the coronavirus how many students would infect a teacher looks like probably zero but the teachers unions will stay out of school and keep your kids at home maybe it's time to get some new teachers and bust up the teachers unions maybe it's time that the woke educators that come out of these indoctrination centers at universities be fired that makes a lot of sense to me to be quite honest We try to give you truth and information on this program, Truth to Ponder. That's why it's called that. We have a website, truth2ponder.com. And we do this on shortwave because it's one of those mediums. We do it as a podcast, but we also do it on shortwave because I, I just really believe, and the correspondence I get from so many of you backs it up, that this is increasingly a very needed and necessary medium. On that, I have no doubt. It's not cheap. It's not free. But you as listeners have been helping me each step of the way. I can't even begin to thank you enough. Now, tomorrow, while I'm thinking about it, before we have to go to a break, I'm going to go to a break early today because I've got something very special in the second segment we're going to try an experiment on thursday and friday 
might even be happening today. We're trying to record the show in advance, so we're not sure if it'll be today, but it's supposed to happen on Thursday and Friday. Normally on shortwave, this program airs on WRMI at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 Central, on the frequency of 5950 kilohertz, and then again at 6 p.m. on 9395 kilohertz. We're going to also add for a couple of days and then kind of see what happens um, an airing at 5950 kilohertz at 5 p.m. Eastern and see if that gives some better coverage. There's not too many openings at WRMI for the coverage that I'm looking for. I wish there was. And maybe if you get a chance, if you're listening tomorrow, kind of keep track of that and let me know that uh, you heard the broadcast at the different time. And then four nights a week, we are on the air, 5950, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from WRMI. And every night, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 Pacific, on KVOH at 9975 kilohertz. So those are the places you can find out more from the website, truth2ponder.com, truth and the number 2ponder.com. I asked a question when I started the program today. Would your church survive another coronavirus one-year lockdown? Are you still locked down? Are you still in dire straits? It has been reading an article that said one in six or maybe as much as one in five, but right now it looks like one in six churches before this is all over will close their doors for good. They'll never reopen for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was a small elderly congregation to begin with. And the older folk are very frightened about what could happen going forward. And they're not going to come anymore. And the church may shut down. Some churches that are not true to the gospel, they have nothing to really put their faith on. They really don't have faith in the things that God can do. They have faith in the things that they can do. And suddenly they're realizing before their very eyes, there's not much they can do. Celebrating sin in a church is not exactly a way to get the power of the Holy Spirit flowing among you. And you say, well, Bob, you know, the churches that people could die there then please explain to me Grace Community Church in California, 7,000 people on a Sunday in defiance of a governor's order because the word of God. Remember, before you start saying, but the Bible says we're supposed to obey, yes, unless what they tell you to do is in contradiction to what the word of God says. Then you make the decision. And John MacArthur made a very very firm decision to obey God, not Governor Bankrupt in the mind Newsom, who wants to find and shut down churches and restaurants and small businesses. It's funny, after the election, all of a sudden, all these governors that were locking down, locking down, shutting it down, shutting it down before the election and and before, you know, the inauguration, now suddenly they got to, we got to open up or there'll be nothing left to open up. Isn't that amazing how that happened? The duplicity 
of politics. You know, it's one of the hardest things. I, I A few weeks ago, I made a trip. I had to fly out of state for ministry work. And I had to make a decision. People were saying, well, you really don't want to fly. I mean, with all the flights and you're going to have to stop here and you got to go there and you're going to be in a different place. What if you come down with the coronavirus? What if I'm disobedient to doing what God called me to do? I would rather become sick obeying God than be home healthy disobeying what I was called to do. You make a choice. And a lot of Christians are having a hard time making that choice. The American church has had it good and lazy for a long time. We don't really face persecution. You don't worry about losing, well, maybe now you will. But in the past, you didn't lose your job because you went to a certain church. Now we're going to be socially credited. The more woke you are, the more into transgenderism you are, the more you are into the rainbow gay movement will make you woke and loved by the world. I'd rather be loved and redeemed by God than have anything the world has to offer. Right now we're going to take a break and I hope that we can hear from you sometime soon. If you really believe in this work, just go to our website, truththenumber2ponder.com, truththenumber2ponder.com. We'll take a break. Be right back. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. 10,000 British soldiers coming right up. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now King Theodore of Abyssinia once arrested a British subject named Cameron and kept him imprisoned in a mountain fortress called Magdala. He never gave a reason why. Well, the British Empire demanded that he be released immediately. The king refused. Within 10 days, 10,000 British soldiers were sailing down the coast from Magdala to find Cameron. The 10,000 then marched inland for 700 miles and ascended the mountains where Cameron was being held prisoner. The battle began. They tore down the gates of the fortress. They penetrated to the depths of the dungeon. There they found him. They lifted Cameron on their shoulders, carried him down the mountains and to freedom. The entire enterprise took several months, cost the British Empire $25 million, all for one soul. Now imagine if that were you and your government spent $25 million and sent 10,000 men just to get you out of a dungeon. Well, that is you. Because if you're saved, you've had a greater treasure given for your release and something greater sent. You see, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that you would not perish but have everlasting life. There's no higher price than that and no greater love than you can ever know. How much is your life worth to God? Well, it's worth his very own life to him. Are you living a life that's worth the life of God? Well, you weren't worthy of that worth, but he gave his life so your life would become worthy. So my friend, live your life in a manner worthy of the price that was given to redeem it, a price far greater than 10,000 British soldiers. Now, how about if somebody offered you a gift of a million dollars? What would you say? Something better than a million dollars. Something that'll help give you a strong, victorious life. A free subscription to Sapphire's Vitamins for Your Spirit and the incredible Mystery of the Temple Doors. All free. You'll love it. How do you get all this? 
Easy. Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's all you do and you'll be blessed, but call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I invite you to join with me in the harvest. You don't need to plow, just an open heart and a pen. You can reach the unreached peoples of the world. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy, at box 1111. Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy, box 1111 in Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Shalom Aleichem, peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Ben Elohim, the Son of God. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And I want to welcome you back to part two of the Wednesday edition of Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. We took our break early because in just a couple of moments, I want to share something with you that's going to take just a little bit of time. One of the things about this program, it is a ministry. It's not something, it's not a political show. It's really a ministry. We talk about the political climate in the light of God's word. We talk about the things you need to understand that are happening and try to put it in the light of God's word. As we talked about in the beginning of this program today, is this the great tribulation or one of many tribulations the world will go through? And so much of the problem I think we face in the world today is the fact in the United States we have a lazy Christianity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, World War II, when trying to explain how Germany could have changed and did all the things that it did, and why the churches never really said much, he called it cheap grace. Now, let me define that when I say cheap grace, or in this case where Bonhoeffer says it. It's not that the grace of Christ is cheap. Yeah, it's free, but it's not cheap. We hold this wonderful gift without value, and then it becomes cheap, it becomes secondary. There are a lot of things in people's lives that are far more important than their relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm, I'm learning, one of the things that I've seen is how ill-prepared the church was when the pandemic hit. And how many are still reeling and how one in, what, five or six will probably close their doors forever. Which means they really weren't that important to those in the church to begin with. It was about three years ago that I I preached a message to a church in Florida. And we kind of touched on the issues of our giving, what God has given us and our responsibility back to God. And how many Christians all over the world have gone through persecution and suffering, we haven't. We act like the world's coming to an end if it's raining. Christians in the United States could learn from our counterparts in other parts of the world. I want to share this message now. By the way, our if you want to get a hold of the program, you can contact us through the website, which is, which is truth 
the number two ponder.com truth the number two ponder.com let me take you now to the sanctuary of amazing grace anglican church back in 2018 heavenly father as we come to this time that we look at your word I pray you'll open our eyes to see what you have for us, our ears to hear the words you have given us, and our hearts to receive that which you are expectantly giving to us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. If you, I'm going to go today to this lesson out of the book of Acts. I think we're supposed to be reading the book of Acts, one of my favorite books of Scripture. There's a lot said in there that we look at and take with a grain of salt. We just read it, look at certain verses, try to apply it to our lives and our situation. But I really believe that we miss the totality of what the book of Acts is all about. Let's jump just for a moment to our gospel lesson. Remember that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that, what we call Palm Sunday, the disciples were expecting Jesus to somehow become an earthly ruler with some great divine power. They had no clue that he was going to die in a matter of days. That was not in the plan. Understand The Jewish people for centuries were looking for a Messiah, a leader, a king. And they had been in captivity and bondage now with the Jews for all these years. And their idea of a Messiah is an earthly, an earthly leader to make life good on the earth. They're not looking in terms of eternity. The looking in terms of a life generation. So this is all foreign even to the disciples. They're beginning to learn. And they're understanding a lot of Jesus' commandments. They're understanding a lot of what he expects from his followers. They probably had a hard time understanding lines like, he must take up his cross. Well, they knew what a cross was and follow me. And they just didn't understand, is that because we're going to fight an earthly struggle and we have to be ready for the fight. They weren't understanding it. So when Jesus was crucified, they were devastated. They were hidden. They were in fear for their lives. They really didn't know what to do. They hid. The women had more courage initially. They went out to the grave on the morning after the first day of the week began. Jesus was already gone. The Roman soldiers gone. The stone rolled away. And even the disciples initially had a hard time believing that he has what? Risen from the dead? Even Thomas would not believe as we heard in today's gospel. He's not buying into this. And Jesus has to literally come back and say, hello, Thomas, remember me? The one you saw on the cross whose hands have, you were asking about if I don't see the nail prints or the, where they got pierced, I'm not going to believe. Well, here I am. Of course, blessed is he that 
believes without having seen all that than those that have to. So now, let's get to where we are in this lesson from the book of Acts. Pentecost has come, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about Pentecost come the month of May, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see, like, if you go back just, you know, in, the, in today's lesson, you'll see the, uh, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of these things which he possessed was his own. They had all things in common. If you go back just to chapter 2, I think it's verse 44, if I'm not mistaken, we see it already there. And they that believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods, made sure that everybody had according to their need. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread, which is the communion that we celebrate those that came into the knowledge of Christ and those disciples they maintained as Jesus said do this as oft as ye drink it in remembrance which the word is animatesis meaning to bring into the present that of the past it's not simply a memory it is to literally transcend space and time and they were encouraged by this act together not even probably understanding that when they were having those early communion service they were communing with us Ever notice that prayer we say every Sunday? We pray for those not yet here. It's not those that didn't find this building today. It's those that aren't even born yet that'll be communing with us. That's something to think about for a second. They had such a zeal in their day with what they knew and had seen, the witnesses to the resurrection. A lot of people before Easter in the secular world try to dismiss this idea of this Jesus person. They try to even explain that he didn't even exist, let alone died and rose from the dead. They go and all these contortions trying to find any way to dismiss the reality of the Son of God. Because if there is a Son of God, then the narrative for their lives is, is built on a falsehood and a lie and they discover suddenly they're not the end-all, the beginning and the end for the, themselves. In today's lesson, and I want to read this and I'll use the good old, you know, King James Version here. I'm used to it. I have some notes that I must have written 25 and 30 years ago in this Bible. And it all comes to these verses right here. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. In today's lesson, it said, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. As we learn today, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses, many sold them, and bought the price of these things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet. Now, our Bibles today we, we add chapters and verses. They didn't do that. And, and sometimes I wonder how we ended up dividing chapter and verse. Because this is a continuing story as we get into chapter 5. There's something here, and I'm not sure if I'll be here to make sure it gets preached on this year or not. But there's always something here in this section. And the note that I made for myself, don't lay up security when you walk in faith. 
is a note that I made to myself. Don't lay up security when you walk in faith. Because here's what happens. We're talking about all these people that many, not all, but many were so committed to this good news, they sold their land, their houses, their whatever, to take all that to become a part of what was called the way. This is what the early church was called, the way. They wanted to be so much a part of the beginning of Christ's church on this earth that this became their calling in life and their full-time everything. Now, not everybody's called to do that, but some are. And those that are called to do as such, to whom much God has given, much is required. And that's what you find in many of this. So we get into chapter 5 now. And this is the lesson I think we need to, to learn. It may be in a future epistle. I didn't look into what next week or the week after is, but I want to make sure it gets, gets said. Remember, you had Hosesus and who by the apostle surnamed Barnabas, uh, the son. They had, they had sold all this stuff, and they were bringing all this stuff to the apostles' feet. They're bringing all the money and the goods and whatever to the apostles, those that the Lord had led to give. And there was this one couple. I bet some of you remember the name. I, I'm already seeing some heads nodding. Ananias and Sapphias. They sold a possession, but they kept back a part of the price, his wife also being privy to that knowledge, and bought just a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's where I have this note. Don't lay up security when you're walking in faith. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back a part of the price of the land? While it remained, it was not thine own, and after it was sold, it was not thine own power. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Why hast thou not, why hast thou not lied unto men but unto God? But Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and died. And a great fear came upon all that heard these things. Now, you have to understand, he just fell over, keeled over dead. And rather than keep the body kicking around there for a while, they picked him up and moved him out of the way. And then comes the wife, if you ever read this story. And so... It was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what had happened, came in. And Peter asked her this question, tell me what ye sold the land for so much? And she said, yea, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of God? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and now will carry you out as well. Poof, down she went. That was it struck dead. Now, people have always said, what was the sin in all of this? Keeping the money? Actually not. They lied unto God. They let everybody think that they're giving 100% of what they were going to give. If they had walked in there and said, we sold, let's just, put, let's just say this is happening in 2018. 
We sold the family car for $22,000. We're going to keep $10,000 to give to our kids down the road. Here's $12,000. No problem. That was not a problem. But to say we sold this car for $12,000 when you sold it for $22,000 and you kept the ten grand hidden, it's not so much lying, it's a lack of faith. You're saying, God, we're telling the world we trust you, but we don't. That is the real sin. Not the lying. It's the failure to trust. And telling others that you're trusting God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and all everything you've got. And then really, you're not. You're hedging your bet. Well, you know, in case this thing doesn't work out, the apostles, we always got this to fall back on. That's why I made that note to myself probably in 1978. Don't lay up security when you walk in faith. There's a price to be paid. A church is nothing more than the living body of Christ. And what I'm about to say, don't take this that I'm saying something mean-spirited or directed to anybody in particular or any whatever. This is a general observation from the last 24 years of my life in churches. If anything, I'm going to criticize one church that I arrived at. <laughs> I've arrived at a few. <laughs> but... And this one in particular was in a storefront. This place is a palace compared to what they had. Oh, I'm serious. It was a, this place is a palace. This is the Taj Mahal compared to what they had there. And I just got so fed up with it. I preached there one Sunday before I ever accepted the call. And I challenged them, hoping they would never call me. No, seriously, when I saw this place, I'm looking, I got a church, um, I got two churches on the East Coast, one with a big building and one with a big budget to do a big building. How many have ever, ever, ever been up to Vero Beach and seen a church called St. Mark's Anglican? Looks like a British church monster built out of stone with a moat around it. That would have been mine. I don't think I would have survived there because it was all about their money. They owned it. They let you, do it. They let you know that too. That would have been a problem. We give thee by thine own, whatever the gift shall be, all that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, for me. That was not in their vocabulary. We have this tendency, and that's what I said about this church. I remember I met with them and I said, I've been to your place, now i preached here. You give your junk to Jesus and keep the good stuff for yourself. It's like, this is the stuff, your coffee maker at that church, the goodwill won't take it. They don't want it. I, I mean, I accuse them of dumpster diving for the stuff that they had in that church. And I said, you know, how do you ever expect to get beyond a handful of people if your heart's not in it enough to give Christ your best or attempt to do better? Those that come to visit will really see that you have no investment here because you really have nothing you believe in. 
I accuse him of being a member of the 1928 Prayer Book Burial Society. All you want is to be the last one standing to have the old order of service done over your hole in the ground. That is not the church. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to sell your house, your car, cash in your 401ks if you have them, whatever the case may be. Nothing says you have to do that. Nothing says that you should do that, though there are some that are called to give a lot. The willingness is the factor to say, Lord, I give you everything, and I want to be a good steward for all those things you have given me, all the gifts you have given me, the gift of this life, and I have to, and, and, and no matter what our status in life is, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. We need to be a little less possessive about the, the stuff we have. There is nothing wrong with owning a home. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But don't be so tied to it and possessed by it that we're not willing to give of it when Jesus calls and says there is a need. As we get later in the church life, now remember, these are the first days. People are seeing, we saw Jesus rise from the dead. We saw him come trucking through town. 3,000 witnesses saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. There's a lot of people. And people died because of that knowledge. They knew it was so true, they gave up their life. None of the 12 apostles died of old age and retirement. None of them. They gave their life, lost it, including St. Paul that came along later. He traveled the world, the known world at the time, coming out of the Middle East, bringing this message up what's called the Levant, I think some of us know what that term means, that part around the Mediterranean Sea heading up toward Turkey, up to Greece, making his way into Greece and even into Italy, the Roman Empire, all the way to Rome itself. Came back, then was taken by sea all the way. Paul counted all things not for Christ as a loss. So what is the takeaway point for this church or any church today? You know, how important is this message? If you jump into chapter 5, you'll see in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all within one accord. See that one accord again. They were on Solomon's porch. Then it says, insomuch, this is verse 15, this is the definition of faith. Insomuch as they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by the healing power of Christ descended upon those people. They had that kind of faith because of what they had seen. They came also a multitude out of the cities around and about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and then which were vexed and unclean spirits, 
and they healed every one. And if you jump to verse 30, a lot, I mean, everything here about prison doors being opened, you know, just everything that could happen, all the power of God. And Peter and the other apostles answered this question and said, we ought to always obey God rather than what men think. Comes first. I believe the problem in many of churches in the Western world in particular today, and the reason I say the Western world is this. I'm in correspondence right now with a bishop of a well-established church established in the 1930s, long before the rise of Islam as we know it and all the things that have happened in that part of the world in Pakistan. And he's been sending me some pictures of recent places he has visited and the meetings that they hold. Now, you will see, because of the culture, men sitting on one side of the, of the building and women on the other. And I asked him a question. I said, you know, I, I said, why, you know, is that a church thing? He goes, no, it's a cultural thing. And if we, it keeps us from being, shall we say, more impacted by our Muslim, you know, brethren around us. If they were to see the mixed company, it would create scandal, then it becomes problematic, and then you get everybody coming in and looking and observing. By at least observing that, it keeps us off the radar screen. And I'm looking at this building, one of his buildings. The room is probably a little bit bigger than this room, maybe at about five or six more feet, from what I can tell. There are about 400 people jammed in there. 400. There's no air conditioning and there's no seating. They're on the floor. And he's up with a small pulpit and a, a small, you know, fold-away altar. It's, it's like a plastic table up on blocks. And there's where they're doing their sacrament. There's where they're doing their preaching. And I'm looking at some of the people in those pictures, and I'm going, you've got policemen sitting in there. Yeah, they observe every Sunday. They're not members. They're just there to observe. Yet the people still come week in and week out. They know they could lose everything for the cause of the gospel in a place like Pakistan. He has five other bishops underneath him, in his group, he has 24 priests and over 5,000 people in churches in Pakistan that risk it every Sunday. Knowing that their neighbors will look down upon them and look at them as less. Knowing it can hurt their job prospects if they have decent jobs depending where they live. It can hurt their social standing. Yet there he is wearing his, he wears the black shirt mostly, he doesn't you know, he's a little bit, how do I put it? He has more of a servant's mentality. And he'll wear his collar, <clears throat> just like a, you know, just a regular tab collar shirt like I do in black, pair of khaki pants. And the only vestment he generally has is just a stole when he does the communion because a lot of those places don't have much. Because they don't have much. And some of the places where he ministers, it's a very impoverished region. And you look at the people, the children, and everybody, and you're realizing what a risk these people are taking at a place like that. And I don't think a lot of Americans would do it. They wouldn't bother. They'll stay home. They give it all. 
the American church gives what we can spare. There's the difference. Today's age is a very narcissistic, especially with the younger people, and I'm not trying to throw off on them, age. It's all about me, all about what I want. If I don't want to do it, then I'm not interested. I mean, things we used to take for granted in disciplining ourselves to grow up to learn, it's like it's irrelevant, so I don't do it. It doesn't entertain me. It doesn't thrill me. I'm not going to bother. And we take that same attitude into the church. If this church doesn't make me feel good today, then I don't want to come back here next week. It's all about me. I saw a great little, I posted once on Facebook, that sign. The first narcissistic church. Ever seen that sign? It's a big church that says, first narcissistic church. And then it says, where it's not about God, but it's all about me. We'll be here around noon Sunday. <laughs> Notice around, no specific time, whenever we get here. We don't need to, this church here, Lori and I, this is, I'm going to close with this. I'm talking too long. I shouldn't have been this long today. I try to control myself sometimes. I really do. But we, <laughs> but we, Lori and I talk, why are we here in this place after two years? Why did God bring us here? What is our purpose here? There is a reason we're here, and it, you know, sometimes it's not clear, sometimes it is. Sometimes when I'm in here by myself doing some other work, I just sense a certain reality in this world. You know, there are bigger churches out there. There are fancier ones. There are ones that have better everything than we have. But the one thing that some of these big churches don't have, I think, is the preaching of the Word and the sacrament together. You can go to some places where it's a beautiful sacramental church, and, the, and you know, I'd rather have my teeth drilled while they're preaching to help keep me awake. <laughs> I've been to a few of those where it was a numbing experience. And then you can go to some places where the preaching is great, but they don't understand all the gifts of God and His means of grace, and they just choose to live on the music and the message as they float out the door. I've always believed, and that's why I love looking at this church in Pakistan. The more I watch the videos and the things he's sending me of his work there, they got it. They're a church in a hostile land. They understand what it means to, to celebrate the sacrament and what it really means. And he is not afraid to preach the whole word of God in a hostile land. It's the preaching, the teaching, and then the empowering that they receive that keeps them going. And that's my vision for this place right here. We can be a launching place for missions and ministries in our area. I'm talking to a guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma with an established church that feels that his group and denomination, while theologically very great, are so encrusted in tradition over the word that sometimes the word gets muted a little bit. And he's thinking, our theology is the same. 
your love of the way music can be done in a church. I have no problem with some of the newer music. I love both. I love both the old and the new, I'll tell you right now. Whatever it takes in the marketplace, as St. Paul taught us as he traveled. He didn't force the music from Jerusalem upon the folks in Greece. They wouldn't have known it. They sang the Psalms in their own melodies in their own way. But he taught them the holy things of God, which we have recorded for us in Scripture. Preaching, teaching, empowering. It's not teaching, entertaining, and fulfilling that makes the church. And that's what I love about Amazing Grace. There are times that I know that I do not give my all to my Lord and his kingdom. And he reminds me of that. I've got a guy I've made a promise to that I've got to take care of this week, a mission work in the Philippines. And he, this guy is a priest, and he has an opportunity that he does not, it's not Manila, it's another major city, and now that would escape me, but it's in the hundred and some odd thousand. For I think it's 20 or $24 a week American, he gets an hour of time on cable TV in, a, in about 100,000 homes. Now, maybe 500 may view it, but $25 to reach 500 people is not a bad deal. And I try to find money to give to him from time to time out of my own pocket. Those are the kind of people I love to give to when I can. These are the people I talk to, people that give it all. And then I look at me and I look at what I have and I'm going, Lord, have I given enough? Have I given enough? Heavenly Father, teach us of how to give to your kingdom and your work. You have provided for us this place. Teach us to give our first fruits, not our leftovers. It's so easy, Lord, we know, to fall into giving from our abundance and not from our need for the things of your kingdom. But Lord, you have taught me and you've taught so many others you never can outgive the love and mercy of you. Lord, teach us to be cheerful. Teach us to be willing, willing when called to give all that you've asked to give in your name. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen.
I will admit I love that song. That's actually Billy Preston. Remember him playing with the Beatles, of all people? And he's on the organ on that beautiful song, You Can't Beat God Giving. You know, you can't outgive God. You really can't. And I think the lazy American church is learning that lesson the hard way. Church is not something that is secondary, tertiary, or when convenient. It should be a very fabric of our life, and the sharing of the good news of the gospel should be one of the most important things you are involved with each and every week. I want to thank those that have supported this program and keeping it on shortwave. If you're listening on KVOH at 9975, please let me know. If you're listening on WRMI, by the way, on Thursday and Friday, we're going to be trying to broadcast twice in the afternoon, uh, basically 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on 5950 to see which works better. Then again at 9395 uh, kilohertz at 6 p.m. Eastern. And then, of course, KVOH at night at 11 p.m. Eastern. If you believe in the work that we're doing, would you go to our website, which is truth2ponder.com, send me an email. Or if you'd like, you can mail me a letter as well. And any help you want to give in uh, paying the shortwave airtime bill is always appreciated. You can write us at 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane in Sky... By the way, you have to add a 263. 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, in Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. Thank you so much for listening today, and we'll see you tomorrow on another edition of Truth to Ponder. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.